Welcome to Save It for the Drive, the podcast for voices of women veterans. I'm your host and veteran, Ingrid Kennedy. Join me as I interview lady veterans from all branches of the military and eras to hear their stories, challenges, and triumphs. So you're my first one. So I would like to introduce Nadia Barron, a Marine Corps vet, and I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about your career and all the things you've done in the Marine Corps. Well, thank you for having me. How are you? (laughs) Good. So let's start with um, when did you... uh, initially enlist or like how did you get to the point where you decided to go into the military um my god uh, I, I was i am the oldest of four kids um so money was tight growing up right um mm-hmm. so when it came time to go to college uh i realized that financially it wasn't going to be possible for my mom to sign off or sign off on my loans with me um right they they thought that I should go to community college and I didn't agree with their idea. So I mm-hmm. find other ways to figure out how I'm going to sponsor or how I'm going to finance my college career and stuff like that. Like I had scholarships, but just not enough to cover where I wanted to go. So, and I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to be away from home. I just wanted to go. I wanted to you know, go to school. I, want, I, I wanted that whole experience, but I knew I wasn't going to get to have it if I went to community college. So I started looking into the, the military to see okay. go that route instead. So this is like when you were in high school, you were yeah. considering this? Senior year in high school after I had gotten all my college acceptance letters and then realizing that that, was, that dream was not possible. All so, right. Different dream. So did you do any research of branches or did you know right away that you wanted to go in the Marines? I did not. I researched the Army first. Um, I researched the Army um, about going to their nursing program and doing stuff like that. And I researched the Navy and I did not want to be on a ship. I realized that. Like back then mm-hmm. I did be better. Um, I did not get to do the Air Force, to be honest with you. I didn't re- research into that. I didn't like the uniform very much. Um, mm-hmm. and somehow I got to talking to a Marine Corps recruiter cause he was, he, he was, he showed up at school and I, 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 I talked to both the army and the Marines like simultaneously, um, when I was joining, like those were the two branches that I was considering the most was the army. Okay. okay. So did they have like, um, like a meet and greet at your school and that's, well, recruiters usually went on Fridays to schools. So we normally mm-hmm. see recruiters walking around at schools. So like that piqued my interest. Um, and then obviously they had a college fair where they had both the, the Marine Corps and the and Army recruiter. And I got the pamphlets and everything. You're like, oh, they gave you so much money with the GI Bill. And I was like, well, that right. probably helped fund my education. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the main thing. Like, okay, um, you get to travel, you get to, you know, be on your own independent. So I think that was a more of a deciding factor that I was going to get to be independent and provide for myself more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
And was anybody else in your family ever in the military or were you the, the trailblazer? I was the trailblazer. Oh, nice. I, mean, I had and, two cousins, but I wasn't really close to them. So I didn't mm-hmm. even know that they were in the military, to be honest with you. Um, okay. But I was a trailblazer that said, I'm joining. And I think I've been the only one since then. Okay. And uh, when you enlisted, did you get to choose what job you wanted to do? Or did you just go in and then was that like looked into after you went through basic training? So I had a job picked out before I enlisted. So when I went to MAPS and everything, I knew I I wanted to be a legal administration, legal admin. Since I'm not a citizen, I wasn't a citizen at the time, my job offers were limited. So what I wanted to do, what I qualified to do for my ASVAB, I couldn't do because I wasn't a citizen. Uh, Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So as a resident, you have a list of things that you could do and a list of things that you cannot get a job in. So Uh I qualified for it because I wasn't a citizen yet. I couldn't do it. Um, So I had a set contract for legal administration. Um, I was due to ship out in October 98. Mm-hmm. But the, an offer came in that I could ship out in July, '98. But I didn't realize that I was going to lose my school seat at that point. So oh, okay, right. I had no idea that I was open contract when I went into the military. Like and that was never explained, I think, or I might have, and I didn't pay attention, so I don't know. Um, so, so by leaving for basic training earlier, it. I- it changed yes your te- where you could go to tech school yes mos school yeah mos school yeah okay okay you'll have to help me with all the marine terminology because i know like the air force terminology so so, military so school. your mos school military okay school. all right and okay so where did you go to do your boot camp basic training so basic training was in Paris Island, South Carolina. And I went in the middle of the summer. Fun. Oh. <laughs> I got into the glorious sand fleas. And oh wow. At flag days of training, 110 degree weather, humidity. It's beautiful. Oh wow. No idea how to get on base because they make you put your head down when you're about to enter base. So you have no idea where the entrance or exits are. <laughs> <Okay>. Oh, wow. <laughs> so no clue how to get in or out. It's only, it's a very small base, but I had no, none of us knew how to get in or out of that base. Yeah. So this is you right after high school. Yep. Going to Paris Island. Yeah. By yourself. 14 days after I turned 18. And I think it was less than a month after my graduation that I was gone. After like, it took, cause it took so long to get into the Marine because I'm short. I uh-huh. did the high requirement for the Marine Corps. You have to be 4'10". I'm, at that point I was 4'9 and 3 quarters. So I got denied twice. Oh, wow. And then you got, did you have to get a waiver? I had to get a highway from the Commandant of the Marine Corps. Or someone high up had to sign it, like. But it took months and months of training. Someone coming and watching me train 
to finally them to say, yes, you're allowed. And I think that was my deciding factor between the Marine Corps and the Army. The Army said, yes, I can go, and the Marine Corps said no. <laughs> and I, that, at that point, I really wanted the Marine Corps at that time. Oh, I see. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. you fought to get in. I fought to get in. So that made it more like, this is where I'm supposed to be in my head. Like, I have to fight mm-hmm. to get in. That's where I'm, I'm meant to be. Like, and yeah, wasn't like, I didn't like the easy route. That was too easy kind of ordeal. Like, fighting to get in was like, I earned it. Yeah. Both space to go there. Like, because you have to earn the job to be a Marine. Because we, get, we get to be called recruits. So we're not even privates or our soldiers. We're recruits. Right. The weirdest thing in the world. Yeah. So what what did you feel like when you were on that bus heading in? When did you first see the drill sergeants? Was it were they on the bus taking you from the airport or right when you got on the base? So you meet a drill instructor, not yours, when you get when you land in in beautiful South Carolina. You meet them at the airport and then they put you on the bus. But like, you know, you're fine then. And they just like, you know, they yell at you, but not like what you like, oh, this is normal. But the moment yeah. like you arrive at the depot, at the receiving, that's when a jeweler just comes on and just starts yelling at you to get off the bus, get off the bus, get off the bus. And you have to go find a pair of yellow footprints. Uh-huh. So like that's like a shock. Like you go from waking up in your house the day before to being across country for me and having someone just yell at you that you cannot yell back at. Like yeah. Like four o'clock in the morning, we're getting yelled at. Like, oh my mm-hmm. what did I get myself into? <laughs> yeah. Um and did you have so when you were okay, let me think about this. So and when you were um, in boot camp, was it all a female? Yes. A squadron or or yes group. Okay. Yeah. At that time, uh, Marines training the female Marines training fourth recruit training battalion. So we had our own battalion, um, consisting of Mike November and Oscar companies, or November Oscar and Papa's company. Um, we we trained separate like. All of our training was separate, minus when we did the rifle range and um, swim call. Okay. In my opinion, it made it easier because it was a lot less distractions. Like, yeah. You fully concentrated on training, you know, at, in my opinion, at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you were in your battalion, did you get assigned any um duties or any um were you delegated anything or or did you have any like special role or anything like that i was a guide for a little bit um i was the knowledge recruit because i I could remember facts a lot of facts and then so i knew like because you have to pass a, a a history test in the first 30 days when you're in boot camp of military of marine corps knowledge Mm-hmm. I had remembered so many that I had to help other people pass the test. So I was assigned the knowledge recruit because I knew everything or almost everything that was going to be on the test or s- stuff that we need, we needed to know. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I preferred to be a guide on. So it was, 
it was a lot to keep up with the people who were six foot because you have to be in front of the of the of the of the, the rocks mm-hmm. and I, I had a hard time keeping up my legs were not that big so you know trying to like I was almost running every time I did a hump when I was in the front yeah because don't they usually they usually have the taller people in front and then yeah the smaller people in the back so like you're like running and like trying to outrun the taller people in the front was not fun at all yeah um so i wasn't cut out to be the guide on unfortunately um i like i would wasn't cut out to be yeah but i thought that would be like ideal because then you would set the pace and then everybody would stay together no you have to keep up with the drill instructors there's no okay pacing you keep up with them and you're talking about a a a rock at four or five o'clock in the morning with a 60, 70 pound pack, plus your Kevlar, your moonbeam, and all your gear and your uh-huh. rifle. And that was not easy. So, like, having to keep up with my drill that was already a challenge for me as it is. And I didn't, like, that extra chance that I wanted, I didn't succeed to it. Like, it wasn't for me at that time. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It's all right. I got picked on other, uh, for other reasons than that. Yeah. Every time. I know challenge and like okay like when the tall people couldn't do it they would call me like Vasquez get over here and like oh crap show them you could do it so you're like seeing like all the pressures on you and they usually like okay the tallest guy the shortest girl with the shortest guy you guys have to beat this thing and you're sitting like oh my god like you're looking at a six foot wall and I'm not even six I'm not even five feet and you're sitting like I have to (laughs) with my rifle and how am I gonna do this and like I would find the smallest little creek on the on the on the boards, and I would put my boot there, like propel me with momentum, because I knew that if I lost, I was gonna get quarter decked. This that was not happening. Like if I didn't make a thing on the first or second try, I was gonna quarter decked, because they put you on the spot when you're the shortest person. Like if you could do it, someone else can do it too. It was like a blessing and it sucks at the same time. So you have to explain what quarter decked it means. So when we got in trouble, we would call, we would visit the, the, the beach, where we call it a sand pit. And you would do exercises over and over until the drill sergeant got tired of it because someone got in trouble. In the Marine Corps, it's not just one person that gets in trouble. All of you get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, or quarter deck means like you would go in front of the squadron bit and you, do, you would do exercises, whatever they tell you, until they tell you to stop. So it was sunbeams, flutter kicks, jumping jacks, uh, ACOM bodybuilders, fire hydrants until they were tired, until they felt that you you understood the mission. So quarter deck. Gotcha. And nobody wanted that. <laughs> no. No. Especially when they're sand fleas. Yeah. So like and you like and you knew that if you got in trouble, your whole platoon gets in trouble. So it wasn't just you. So you right. understand, I cannot get in trouble. I don't want to be the cause of us going to the beach. The little sand, the sand pit that they call the beach. All right. Any, um, you remember so much. I'm so impressed with uh, all, all the details. Watch out, um, knowledge recruit, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, knowledge recruits. I'm sure you were like helpful to everybody like past their, their tests. Yeah. How many weeks is Marine Corps boot camp? 13. 13? 
yeah, the last week we did the crucible, which is a, you, you were awake for, you did at 96 hours and you only slept for eight of those. And during that whole time you were constantly doing something and you only had two MREs to eat. Um, up until that point, you call a recruit. Like that's who you are. You're a recruit. Like anytime your jeweler starts to walk in, you have to say ma'am. You're just as ma'am mm-hmm. or so whole time up until you come when you come back. So like for 96 hours, you're doing exercises. The obstacle course, you're running, you're humping, you're like you're doing something constantly, and you could you could only sleep for four hours. On the way back, like you know, you had people who were like a blister, so we would have to unpack all their packs and carry their packs because we wanted them to make sure they cross to the parade deck because that's when your jeweler starts to hands you your ego globe and anchor. At that point, you're a marine. From then on, you're a marine. So like you need that ego globe and anchor like because you want that. Like that would be the first time we were called privates. That was the first time we we could say hurrah. That was the first time we called ourselves marines. Up until that point, we were recruits. So like that was like the pinnacle of our boot camp. And then the last week you spent drilling for like preparing for graduation. But as a marine now. Mm-hmm. So it was like you work so hard those 12 weeks because for that one moment. And you get to sing the Lady Leatherneck song, which you can only sing and once you become a Marine. So it's like Lady Leatherneck song. Yeah. So like you learn it, you in it, but you can't sing it until you become a Marine. Like you okay. can't become a Marine until you, they hang you, you globe and anchor. I oh, remember that's... I cried when mine happened. Like you're trying not to, like and you're dirty because you don't take showers for two, three days. You're dirty and like every, like you have camel paint on, but you cry when a global number gets placed by your drill instructor. I mean, I remember mine from Staff Sergeant White Bear. She was one of the meanest, most inspirational drill instructors I, that I knew. She was awesome. She was hard, but she was awesome. And the fact that I got mine from her was amazing. Because that's who you wanted to impress. Like, yeah. Stuff. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I learned from basic training, honestly, was that we went in as 55 individual voices. Like, 55 individual people. And we all maintain our individuality. But by the end of it, you felt like you were one voice united. And you noticed that the way we walk, the way we like cadences and everything, like you knew at that moment that you had something special with those girls. Yeah. You, you slept in the same room. You ate the same meals. Like you were together 24 hours a day. Like you don't realize it that half the things that we did were for team building, problem solving. Like and you, you didn't realize it till you like you at the end. Like, oh my God, like everything we did was to make us a team. We became a team versus individuals. Like, yeah, that was like, I think the biggest thing I took from there was that you, you, you're a team. Those girls were your team. Awesome. So then once you graduated from boot camp, then where did you go? Did you then? Did they get a uh, career? We to, no, we got to come home for ten okay. days, and then either you were on, on leave or recruiting duty, 
And then we went to MCT, Marine Corps Combat Training Battalions. We, we went to Camp Geiger for three weeks. So it was three weeks of additional training. But at this time, you train with the guys. So you were, you still had, you still slept with the, the squad of, of, of the girls, but almost everything you did was with the guys. So that was like a whole different, like, atmosphere that you did. Cause now you were doing humps with the 240 golfs, the saws, the 50 cows, and you didn't bathe for a week, for a week straight. You mm-hmm. know, you were in the field and the first shower you got was ice cold. And you, it was three more weeks of training which with people yelling at you again for three other weeks and before you got to find out where you were going to school. So was this all like field, the, it was strictly field training? Yep. Strictly field training to learn more field training. We got to shoot grenades. We got to go on homes. We got to do assaults. We got to build ditches. Like you had to camouflage your little, your little foxhole. Uh, you had to go on a patrols and surprise the guys and like everything that you would think you could do in a field. We did it in three weeks. Like camel pain all over again. Like you would get more martial arts training. You would get flip, more bruises. Like you slept in tents, like with your rifle wrapped around your leg. Because if it got taken in the middle of the night by, by your instructors, you were in a lot of trouble. Rifle is your best friend. You have to name her. Your rifle. So what did you name your rifle? Do you remember? Betty. Betty? Betty. My rifle's name was Betty. That's awesome. (laughs) So when you were at Fort Lee, um, was it a little bit more like instructional type training? It was more training. It was more like on like classroom training it was we, we didn't do more combat training i mean we still did runs like you're supposed to do but our field training was more based on field cooking like we learned all the basis of cooking that you know like the things that we needed to learn to run it to work in a child hall so yeah. it was a lot more of that which was more of a classroom environment couple like couple kitchen rotations and then field training as well and then the weekends we had off so, I mean, we got to experience eating at a chow hall that people served us because we were in an army base. You're like, mm-hmm. what? No one's rushing me to eat? Like, it's a bit more relaxed. Like, I can order food in? What are you talking? We had the weekends off. It was a Yeah. Whole- but field days were still field days. Like, every Thursday, everything had to be field day because on Monday, on Fridays, we had an inspection. So now we had to wax our floors. So we had to learn to wax all the floors. Because the moment your gunny came into your room, he should be able to see his image on that floor. Right? Yeah. was more of ironing. Like, everything had to be ironed and crisp, stay flow. You know, we learned more cover blocking. Like, because you still have to have your uniform stuff to be pressed. Even your, even your mess wipes still had to be pressed. You know, that never got away from that. Yeah. Did you have to... You, you still did that in... In boot camp too, right? With the we learned in boot camp, but we learned our camis in boot camp. When we got into the field, when we were out, now we were ironing our mess whites. We were taking, we we're doing our Charlie shirts. You know, all of our uniforms still had to be done. You know, at that point, we learned that we could take them to the dry cleaners and have them do it for us, which is a lot easier. Yeah, than spending hours ironing uniforms. 
All right. And then um, what was the coolest thing that you learned, got to learn how to do in your food service training? Oh, they introduced me to the bake shop. I loved it. I had an instructor put me to the side and she saw that I had a knack of making pies. I was making a crust. And so that week we had the whole rotation. And instead of me doing the rest of the rotation, she kept me in the bake shop for a week. I loved it. She taught me how to make my first pies, muffins, and cinnamon rolls from scratch. And that was so soothing to me. I like that better than cooking. Yeah. And I... I know that, you know, to this day, you still have that passion of baking and yes. cooking I, for everybody. I love to bake. I love to cook. I, I won't do it a mass amount anymore because that's not. But baking, I do. I do love to be creative and baking lets you be creative. Yeah. So then when you finish your food service training, so were you active duty your yeah. whole time? Oh, yeah. So where did you go? Like, what was your first duty station? So that was a whole debacle because originally I had orders to 8th and I. So I was going Washington, D.C. I was excited. I was like, I'm, you know, this is what I did came. I, I want, you know, I'm going to be in a different state, like away from California. And I think three to four days before I shipped out, they called me into the office and they told me that they had messed up my orders and I had been promised to West Coast. So they switched my orders from 8th and I, which was a small mess hall that fed maybe 20 people at a, a meal, maybe, to 53 a mess in Camp Pendleton that fed about 1500 per meal. So I went, Oh, my gosh. That was going to go to the small, smallest mess halls to one of the biggest mess halls. And I was back in the West Coast, which is not what I wanted. But you is go- that where you're originally from? Yes. So I was, I was, I was a little, I was very sad when they changed my orders, but you go where the Marine Corps sends you, you know, you understood that they messed up and you were, you were going somewhere else. That was just the end of that conversation. You know, that's what you, that's what you did. So how did you like being at Camp Pendleton? It was a lot of work. Pendleton was, that mess hall was an eye opener because like most mess halls don't, you don't have to open till six or seven. We open at 5 a.m. So that means we were at work by one o'clock in the morning. So you went, we did a day on, stay on. We did a day and a half. So we were lucky to have three watches, Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie. So we worked for a day and a half, and you were off for a day and a half. You worked for a day and a half. You were off for a day and a half. Um, mm-hmm. But the days you work, you went in one day at 6 o'clock, PT'd, got dressed, went back to work by 9. You worked from 9 to 7. You went home and then you got up at you were work at one until ten o'clock and then you PT'd again. So by the time you got back to your room and the breakfast was like one PM to sleep. And then on the, your day off, your units have to be pressed, they have to be washed and pressed to do it again the next day. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of work. It's a lot of work. My gunny was tough. Gunny Langham was tough. I remember I was late for one by two minutes and then I had to stay uh, I had to stay behind on my day off to pick weeds with a butter knife. I remember that was my punishment. I was pick ne- weeds with a butter knife. Yeah, I was never late again. Oh my gosh. 
never late again. I was always yep. early. I mean, he was tough, but I learned so much from him. Gunny Landrum was one of the best teachers. Being tough kind of helped, I think, helped me. Because he, he was a no-nonsense, do your job, do it correctly, and you don't have to stay afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was a no-nonsense chief cook. I remember that. Picking weeds with a butter knife, I don't, I was never going to do again. That was just not going to happen. That was so embarrassing. I learned. I never did it again. I remember that. They called us back to the range masters. He had a small TV, those old-fashioned TVs. And we watched the towers fall as we're in the rifle range. Wow. Yeah. We knew that that day, our whole base changed within hours. Like, we had high security roadblocks everywhere to, from camp to camp. You had to ID every time you pass a camp or pass a base housing. It was not easy to, it was easy to get off base, but to come back on base would take hours. So some of us didn't even go outside our base for like at least two months because it was too much of a hassle to go out and come back in. Mm-hmm. It definitely changed how we saw life at that point. You were there when the ops tempo went up. And uh, so did you stay at Camp Pendleton longer then? Well, I was getting ready to get, well, I was getting ready to re-enlist. But at that time, okay. again, I still wasn't a citizen. So I, I had to re-enlist as my MOS school. But I had talked to my mother. She was going to release me to drill instruct DI school. But before I can go to DI school, I had to go to do uh, martial arts training, McMap training. Because you have to get a, a tan, a gray, and a green belt. So I was in the middle of my tan belt training. Because I was going to be doing, you know, in, before so I didn't go into my green belt t- training. Um, during training, which we were doing grappling, I fractured my knee. Oh, man. Yeah. So that was in July of '02. And I had a three-month extension to re-enlist so I can go to DI school. So I was in the middle of my, my whole re-enlistment when I got injured. That was, I was going to be a career. I loved the Marine Corps. I wanted to be to have Yeah. Like that yeah, was- if you were considering doing DI school, yeah. I mean, you were in it. Yeah, so I had to wait for a boat space to open for my MOS school to re-enlist. So I had to wait till it opens in October. But once you're in a med board, you must be on a medical hold on a light duty board, they don't let you re-enlist. Even though my PFTs and everything were current, I, it put a hold on my re-enlistment. Whole ordeal. Because um, then um, I had that freak of a nature injury where my knee locked in place. So I had to have a, cat, a soft cast from like the top of my tie to my ankle. And your knee doesn't bend. So you have to like re- teach it to bend so after oh, wow. that like my knees always been wobbly so i didn't think i was supposed to be in the marine corps after that unfortunately yeah oh uh. and i was going back in a couple of years later because i was done with being a civilian i hated it hated it and i got injured again i was like damn it so do you still have um did your knee ever totally recover no no i'm getting cortisone shots now on my knee Oh, man. No, your knee does recover. Don't get me wrong. 
but you always have like that instability of it. Like mm-hmm. you could be walking, your knee shuffles or locks in place. So, like you can walk and your knee locks in place. So, like you, you fall or like it feels like so unstable, like it moves from side to side. And I mean, I work out enough to strengthen my knees, but you still have that, like some days like where you need like just moves and I, I fall and taking a hit on my face. Like, you know, my knee gets swollen and everything. So now I take cortisone shots for my knee. Yeah. So with that injury, they wouldn't let you re-enlist. So you just had to do like a, a medical mm-hmm. discharge at that point? Yeah. Okay. And um, did you have to do reserves or anything like that? Yeah, we all, we all have to do inactive reserves because you have to do four years of active and four years of inactive. But I think I only had two because I was in for six years. So I only mm-hmm. had years of inactive reserves after that. So, I mean, they can recall you back. They never did for me. Um, but I couldn't move away from California for those two years afterwards. So what year was that when you were, when I, you, uh, were I guess, were totally out, I guess? Totally out. I was totally out in 06. 2006. Yeah, that's okay. Your inactive, inactive reservist kicks into play. Which you don't have to draw anything like that, so it's different than reservists. Thank God, um, you don't mm-hmm. have to go in every once a month or two weeks out of the year, because you've already fulfilled your contract of four years of, of active duty. That's those were always the rules. Like if you move away, you have to let us know where you're at, just in case something hits the ground so big that they have to recall you. Well, how did you find your way to the Midwest? Work and my husband, or boyfriend. Okay. Um. I really had nothing tying me to California. And I landed in the, in the, in the IT industry for drafting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the project in LA was coming to an end. And he's from the Midwest, so he asked if I move. Knowing that the, the IT here was a lot, the market was a lot better. So nothing helped me in California, and I moved. Packed up my house and came. Mm-hmm. In 2010... Like two months before that huge blizzard hit in in eleven. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was like a great welcome to the Midwest for me. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. Start to shovel. Oh, that was a bad one. Yeah, so I'm like, what? Husband, yeah, they shut down Lakeshore Drive. Because um, I had asked him, hey, do you ever have snow days? He's like, no, we never had those. Like two weeks later, here's this huge storm. My kid has snow days. I'm like. How do you say you never have snow days? He goes, shut up. It was just never. So now I was like, here's a snow day. Yeah, once they figured out that I already had been serving four years, they're like, oh, yeah, you, you should have had that by now. I was like, well, this is what I needed to get my MOS training, you know, to get a better military job. You know, that was like the one thing I wanted so I can go to signal intelligence. But, I mean, after that, it was, like, easier because they took care of you. Like, they understood that you were serving. And I think that they felt that because we had a volunteer as residents, we really wanted to be in this country kind of ordeal. It felt like after that, so nice about it. Like, well, you, you signed away your life as a resident. Why shouldn't we give you citizenship? I was like, I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. It my dues already, you know, you know, just to go in up for citizenship, you know, because at that point in time, I knew it was going to take three to four years when I signed my paperwork because it takes 
five years. You have to be at least five years of a resident before you can apply for citizenship. I don't know if the rules are the same. To be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But um, I've, I also served alongside of other service members who were not U.S. citizens. And I just find that to be so, like, even more dedicated, you know, um, that they are, they're really, they really have their heart in it. Well, you know, for us, honestly, in that aspect, we know that we weren't born here, you know, but we grew up here. So we consider ourselves privileged to be here. We weren't privileged enough to be born here, but we want to like, it's a, at least for me, it was a sense of service that once I decided I was in the military, I mean, I know I went in for school, but once mm-hmm. you like, you want to give back to the country that gave you the opportunities. Like once you're in, you understand the sacrifices you make. And it's like schooling went like went to the back of your head. Like for a certain point, like the, the amount of pride that got, got instilling you while you're serving is like, oh my God, this is truly the country of opportunities. And like, I need to be thankful for it. Like that's why most of us re-enlist and, and want to keep going because you understand that your sacrifice is so much different and like what mm-hmm. the, what it does for the country. And like, you know, some, some of us don't get to go overseas. Some people never get to do that. But the amount that they, the, the amount of Americanism that they instill in you and patriotism is, I don't know, it's so rewarding. Like, you don't understand what this country is into you. Like you learn the history, like well, you learn history, but you learn, learn history kind of a deal. It's different. Yeah. I, I don't know how to explain it. Like the sense of patriotism that you have when you're in the service, at least for me, it was a lot. I was very thankful for the opportunities that I, I, that I knew that I got here versus what my life would have been had we stayed back in a different country. Like it mm-hmm. made me grateful to yeah. give back after a while. Like it, not after a while, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Do you have any advice for anybody who might be thinking about joining the military, or would you say um, join the Marines because of this? Um, you know what? The military is what you make it, though. Like any branch, you have every every opportunity to to make it the best experience of your life. You also have the chance to make it the worst experience of your life, and it just depends how you see it when you're in. You could be the, the a gun ho, not a gun ho, but take every opportunity that it gives you. If you're a shithead and you want to stay a shithead, you're going to stay one. But if you truly mm-hmm. want to change your life, the military does give you that opportunity. It does give you the tools that you need to be a better person. Like to stand up for yourself, to be a team player, to have leadership. Like it gives you everything. You just have to take it. So like I think... No matter why you go in, you can always come out a better person if you take every chance that they give you. Because they do give you the chances. It's just, do you take them? It's a so-called second thing. Like, people go in there, like, just to coast and get out. And there's people who actually do take, like, oh, my God, there's so much you learn. And you bring that into the civilian world. And, you know, it makes you a better person in my, my ability. Like, go in it with an open mind. It, it, the military, no matter what branch it is, where you make it, no matter how much fun we make it fun of each other, I think that we all come out with a sense of kinship afterwards. And you don't get that unless you've been in the military. And do you want to talk about, um, so what are you doing now that you're 
not active duty or in the military anymore. With veterans or with my work? Uh, both. Well, I want to uh, hear, so I know that you're commander of the Naperville American Legion. And, um, but yeah, tell me what other things you're doing uh, with your civilian work and um, with um, all the things you do for veterans, because you do a lot. Uh, so for work, I work analyst so where that lands me is I work in infrastructure and technology so we design wireless systems for schools and hospitals so like basically you go to school you find out what they need so my job is to figure out how to get it from point A to point B like so I would have to go in you know addicts like figure out how do I go from the main distribution frame the classroom and how am I going to get there and what does the school need that we need to give them, especially with CPS? Um, when you work with the hospitals or any other building, okay, what are the What does the customer need and how am I going to get in there as well? So I landed more on a techie side of my house, which I would have never thought in my life I would be in this position, but I knew that technology was the way to go. Mm -hmm. And it's thankfully kept me happily employed for years now, so I can't complain. All right. Um, and then what are you doing for veterans? <laughs> wow, that's... Well, so I'm the post commander for the Legion. I've been involved with the Naperville Legion for at least seven years now. The first two years I did it like, like, as an outsider. Like, I wasn't really involved. I would go to the dinners and, like, figure out if I fit in there. Um, and then somehow they talked me into becoming the adjutant of, of, the, of the Legion. Um... So like I saw how things could be better and how you could make them better if you had the, the tools and and needs. Like you feel like, hey, you know, we need to do more for veterans. We need to raise more funds, bring awareness to veterans, like close the generational gap that we have right now, which I think is big. Because when you get out, you don't really want to join any veteran organization. It was my deal. Like I didn't want to join anything. I wanted to take a break from all of it, but you miss it. And I think the commercial that I found at the Legion was awesome. Like the, like the more I worked with the officers, the more I like went up the officer pool until I became a commander. Like I found the, like there's so much acceptance in the Legion. Like it didn't matter what branch gender or anything. Like they were open. Like they, they're like, they were more welcoming of the ideas and you kind of see that they want to make a difference. You know, at least in, in this post, like I've learned that they they take any way of helping the veterans like in a, in a stride and awesome. So I saw my chance to bring more awareness to like causes of the Legion, like veteran suicide, homelessness, like, you know, how to help with PTSD and what can we do for them and bring it to light. But I didn't just want to have like, ask for donations. I kind of wanted to like, throw events, sell shirts, make it fun. Because I think we, like, that's what the Legion is missing, that spark of fun. And I think for me, I wanted, I wanted it that. I wanted to have more community awareness, you know, bring the Legion to the forefront of the community, which I'm hoping I did. Um, so that's on the Legion side. Um, mm -hmm. I work with the Women Marine Association, the Osborne chapter here, 
um, and we like try to bring in female Marines to, to like have that sisterhood coming. Like we go away once a year or twice a year, we go hang out to kind of remind us that we're not alone. Like our generational gap goes from World War II into Iraqi freedom now. And like, and we all hang out and get together and it's kind of like girls, sisters, like reminding each other we have our backs. Like if we need help, we're there for each other. And it's kind of been nice to have that on just like an all female side of the house, you know, because those girls understand and get you as female Marines. And it's nice to be able to rely on the knowledge that they have through the decades. You know, like we have a veteran who's 99 years old, Helen, and she is a spark, man. Like she has so much to give and she still does. And like being able to get her stories from World War II is amazing. And then you have the, the Marine Corps League. With the Marine Corps League, we do Toys for Tots in the, in the winter. So if you know about the Marine, the Toys for Tots, we start a campaign for Toys for Tots in October and it goes through December. I think this year we collected over 34,000 toys. And with that, we give up our weekends and evenings and we sort through toys, fulfill orders, we raise toys, we go to fundraisers to raise more toys. So I think my activity with the veterans just depends on the time of year and where you're going to find me. So in, in the winter, I'm raising, I'm raising toys. We're collecting toys. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. You're doing so much. Um, I love how your, your service is just continuing on and on and the sisterhood that you have built with the Marine Corps, um, association. What, what is it called? Uh, the female Marine Corps. Women Marine Association. Women Marine Association. Okay. The Osborne chapter of Illinois. Thing that I want to kind of close out um, all the interviews because I feel that self-care is super important and everyone thinks about that a little bit differently, but um, especially because military people are, we're so ingrained of service to others, but we also have to make sure our cells are taken care of so we can still take care of others. So what are you doing nowadays for yourself, for self-care. I'm learning to do that for myself still. Learning? Okay. I'm learning to figure out what my self-care is. I, I Things that I love to do, it just depends on where I'm at, on my health or what's going on in my head some days that I, I vary from time. Like I love to read, but now I do podcasts and or listen to books. It's, it suits my soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baking like is self-care for me. As, I know that's a lot of work, but getting a complicated recipe some days suits me because it's like it, it takes my mind away from like whatever's going on and like just makes me relax. Um, I like going hiking when I can and my knee's not bothering. And I'm, I'm kind of just learning what works for me right now. So I don't really have like one thing for self-care that works yet. But mm-hmm. I'm- yeah, all of those things are are great ideas. Um, have you ever done what what do you think was like the most complicated recipe that you had to make or bake and that you're the most proud of? I made I learned to make a dough bash cake. 
Um, I'm going to have to Google that. <laughs> there's a bakery in California. That it's a King's Hawaiian bakery. And it's this fluffy, fluffy, fluffy chocolate cake with a pudding frosting. And it's so time consuming. But I was so proud that I did it and it came out tasting exactly like it. Also, I learned to make tres leches from scratch. Like, oh, awesome. I, I can do that. Um, my husband dared me to learn how to make creme brulee and he would buy me a torch. So on a mm-hmm. afternoon, I made, I learned to, make, I taught myself how to make creme brulee and he had to go buy me my torch from William Sonoma. <laughs> oh, that's a good torch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I, I taught myself how to do it. Like I'm self-taught for Baker. Um, but like I, those are the most confidence like I've done like everything gets measured from scratch let, let me I do everything from scratch but those were like the more like you have to add this you have to add this and this extra thing goes on it because it, it's a different type of cake um, but I was very proud of myself um, I also made a three tier wedding cake one year I was very proud of that because I don't make cakes at all I'm more of a cupcake baker and I'm more of a flavor cupcake baker than I am more of a I don't do fondant mm-hmm Like, you give me a flavor, I can make it. And with that, I made a cannoli cupcake and a tiramisu cupcake. Awesome. And I've sampled your cupcakes. They're amazing, by the way. (laughs) I taught myself how to do truffles. Oh, wow. I can make truffles now, too. And um, eclairs. Oh, that's so great, Nadia. Yeah, I taught myself how to do all of that. Very cool. Um, anything, anything else you thought of that you want to say? I think you're doing a phenomenal job with everything you do at the VFW. Oh, that's so sweet. I mean, I, I'm still learning too. It's a, it's all a learning curve. None of us know everything. Like that's what people don't realize. Like, like people like you and me don't like just do things because we feel that that's what we have to do. Like we want to do. And they like for you, like your sound meditation, your, your health, this first. That's things that people need. And it's like a passion for you. And Mm -hmm. no one taught you how to do it. You're just like, you're like, hey, let's try it. If if it works, come on, let's go. I've heard nothing but good things about it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need to make a day to go. Lately, I just mentally haven't been like there yet. Like I've had so Mm -hmm. much. I've I've taken a couple mental break days. Just like, you know, I need a break from everything some days. Like that has been helpful lately. Just kind of like, you know, some things could take a back seat for a little bit and I'll be back. Right. But like, I love the, everything that you're doing with the VFW. That's amazing. All right. Well, Nadia, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. And it's so typical of the Marines to be the first one in. So you're my first interview. Yay. And um, I just appreciate sh- you sharing all of your career with me and I learned so much about you because we never really had a chance to ever sit down and talk like this so I just just thank you and I appreciate it so much oh you're welcome thank you for having me this has been fun I like it well thank you so much for listening and I appreciate any feedback If you are a lady veteran and would like to be interviewed, you can reach out through my website, saveitforthedrive.com. 
You can get this podcast through the website, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcast. Always remember everyone deployed. And whenever you have a great story to tell, remember to save it for the drive.